Grace on Fire, episode 79. Grace Nation, you've waited an entire week. Get ready for another power-packed episode of Grace on Fire in 3, 2, 1. Getting back on the saddle here with Gray Station. Feels good to be back. Just gotta tell you, we got a lot on my mind. So strap yourselves in. We're gonna be tackling the big issues today. And here we go. And hello, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. A.K.A. the Reverend Dr. Smitty. And I am your online pastor. And my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. And on today's show, I am asking the question, has the whole world gone insane? And that's right. I'm asking the question, what's going on? I'm telling you. It just feels like every time I wake up, every time I turn around, I am just confronted with the brokenness of humanity, and that's why I'm doing this show today. And thank you for being here on the show with me. And you know, I am, you know, today, today's not going to be my usual self because I'm just frankly mad, and I'm broken, and I hurt, and and I'm deeply, deeply just concerned about life, about the world, about what's happening, and. You know, there's times when we just have to shift gears for just a moment and we have to examine ourselves and we have to say, what the hell is going on? Exactly. Hell. Seems like hell is just broken out into our world. In fact, I'm just here to tell you that if you are not aware of the fact that we live in a very, 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 very broken world, then I plan to elucidate that for you today here on the show because I'm just telling you, I I am just broken about what's just happened recently. And so today on the show, I'm going to give you my thoughts on the latest shooting that has taken place in Parkland. I also want to talk to you a little bit about how we can bring grace into this conversation because as Grace Nation, we need to be ambassadors of grace now more than ever. We need to watch what we say. We need to be very careful on how we respond. We do not need to get into politics. We do not need to get into debates, but we need to be sober-minded as to the reality of the twisted situation that is in our world. And that is what we need to do. And most importantly, what we're going to be talking about today is how to bring grace back into this conversation. You know, the title of the show is Planet Death, Navigating a World of Violence. And I mean, this. I, I let me just kind of tell you something. Last week, last uh, uh, Wednesday was uh, a week ago from today. Actually, uh, was February fourteenth, and it, it. You know, last Wednesday was a very strange day just to begin with because first of all, it was Valentine's Day. Second of all, it was Ash Wednesday, and which is the beginning of the season of Lent on the church calendar. And I remember looking just at this, that the the differences between those two days and thinking to myself, wow, I mean, what a contrast. I mean, Valentine's Day is supposed to be that day of love, loving you, you're so easy. Never mind. Anyways, so, <laughs> got to bring a little bit of levity in this, right? But um, it was just, it was just confusing. 
Because Ash Wednesday is that time when the church on the calendar begins the season of Lent, and it's really a time of penitence. It's a time when we begin fasting, when we begin looking at ourselves. Our Ash Wednesday services in the Anglican tradition are typically very, very formal, very somber, and it's really designed not to lift up the spirit, but to examine the depths of depravity that are still in existence in our hearts. And so, right there, you have this contrast between these two opposing ideas of just sort of this passion, love, you know, loving, lovey-dovey love, versus the deep, deep, deep sorrow that we feel over sin. And so, as I'm beginning to get my service ready, which we had two services, but at my 7 p.m. service, uh, I was I had turned off the news, I mean, uh, taking a news fast, essentially, and, uh, you know, just... Putting and, and focusing my mind onto the event of the evening, and we had this great uh, combination service where we invited uh, our host church, which is a Methodist church, in with us because we rent from them, and we had this combined service. It was a lovely service, uh, and and you know the house was packed. It was wonderful to see, and what we had was uh, you know this 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 strangeness. And so this, this pastor, uh, Pastor Ted who uh, is the senior pastor of the church, he said, hey, are you going to say anything about the shooting that took place? And I said, what? What happened? And, you know, he began to kind of share with me. And, and honestly, I was just shocked. I was just dumbfounded. But part of me was also like, gosh, not again. Not again. And that's what I'm trying to say, not again, right? And, and if we don't feel those words come up, not again. And if we just don't feel just like, come on, why can't we get this Right. And you know the answer is is that it's far more complex than than what we than we realize, right? And so that's what I want to get into today. And I, I'm going to just give you some heartfelt thoughts and ideas here that I have for Grace Nation. Um, and the reason why I want to do this is because uh, you know it's interesting as I've seen people respond, and, and you know the typical debates start happening back and forth between you know, and it gets politicized, and it gets. Um, you know, the parties start going at each other, and it just really frustrates me, and I don't even like listening to them. I'm so disappointed in our leadership, in our leaders, and their inability to say anything remotely of substance over the whole issue. And I've seen articles passed around and thought leaders, you know, putting their views in, and that's fine. That's great. Um, I know how I feel about it, and I know that I'm going to share some of my thoughts with you today on this. But before I do that, I'm going to get into a little bit of street theology today. It's not going to be a long segment because I want to spend the majority of my time talking about how we should respond uh, to the Parkland shooting. But there is something that I want to share with you that I think is going to be critically important as we look at this very difficult subject. So before we get into that, let's do a little street theology. Let's pray as we get into our episode of the week. Connecting deep truth for everyday life. This is Theology on the Street. And on Theology on the Street, we're going to be talking about a very key concept that's called the propitiation, all right? Or, or propitiation, that Christ is my propitiation. In, uh, and so in the Anglican liturgies, when we have uh, our time of confession and then our declaration of forgiveness, okay, which follows our corporate time of confession, there is a little section in our liturgy that's called the comfortable words. And the comfortable words are designed to remind us of the gospel. We had just confessed our sins where we'd gone deep into our 
um, you know, into our souls, you know, the experiencing brokenness in, in that time of when we realize just the depths of our depravity. And then we hear the declaration of the gospel by the minister. And then after that, the minister reads the comfortable words. And one of my favorite verses, they're all beautiful, by the way, but one of my favorite verses that, that I read at Redeemer comes from 1 John 2, 1. And this is what it says. It says this, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is our propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. That's the English Standard Version. Let me read to you the New English Translation. It says it this way, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one, and he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for our, and not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. Now, what I love about this verse is this idea of propitiation or atoning sacrifice. If you research what propitiation means, it's an old, old, old idea, and it's the idea that a propitiatory sacrifice was a sacrifice in the ancient world that was made to appease the anger of the gods. That if you were to say, I need to make an offering because God is angry, and you you would offer, you know, slaughter an animal or whatever, and you would say, you know, this, this offering that I am making is to appease the wrath of God, so your judgment and condemnation would turn away from me. And what St. John is telling us is that that idea, the, the, the uh, propitiation, the propitiatory sacrifice or the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that his death was the sacrifice, that it was designed to appease the wrath of God. Now, last night at Redeemer Works, I was talking about this idea, and essentially what I was saying was I said that... Um, can God get, can, is God angry at us? Is God angry at us? And that's the question, isn't it? Is God mad at you? And my response to that is that based upon 1 John 2, 1 and 2, that God can never be angry at us again. No matter what we do now or what we do in the future or what we've done in the past, God is not angry at us. And how can I declare this so confidently? Because of what this uh, declaration by St. John is telling us. And that is to say that based upon the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, all of God's wrath, all of his judgment has been alleviated from us and poured out upon Christ. Now, what does that do for us during this Lenten season? Essentially, what I think it does for us is the following, that we need to remember that our spiritual disciplines are not designed to appease God's wrath. We are not fasting from chocolate or the news, or whatever else it is in your life that you think you need to fast for, so that somehow that God is less pissed off at you, okay? Or somehow that God is not as angry at you. Forgive my language here, but I, 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 on the show, I like to use stronger language because I think it's important that we speak street. This is the way that people speak on the street, 
And sometimes as Christians, because we get into our little bubbles of this world, we're not used to strong language, but we need to be used to strong language. And we need to understand that God is not angry because of his propitiatory sacrifice through Jesus Christ that was made on our behalf. And what this should do for us is that it should lead to a measure of freedom. So the question is then, what are our Lenten disciplines designed to do? They're really designed to do one thing, and that is to bring us to a place where we recognize sin in our lives, all right, and we turn it over to the Lordship of Christ. That is to say that we are putting away the things of the flesh and concentrating on the words or the things of the Spirit. That, and what I mean by that is, is that we're actively looking for those areas where we are contributing to sin, contributing sin that is sinful in us. Does that mean that because of Christ is our propitiation that we still don't sin? No, we sin all the time. But what this should do is make us more aware of our propensity to sin and also more grateful and more humble because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. And now it's time for our feature presentation. And how should I respond to the school shooting, navigating a world of violence? You know, I I, I want I, I I feel melancholy a little bit on the show today, and I also feel very angry. And, and, and I don't like doing shows like this. I mean, I'm a very positive guy. I like to bring humor in and I like to, you know, really, you know, just, you know, be honest and, and, and have fun. And, and I get to talk to you and, you know, wherever you are. And my whole goal here is not to bring you down and, and, and it's not to, um, it's not designed so that we somehow feel bad about ourselves. I don't like doing that. I think that we can go through the world and live negatively uh, you know, just on our own. But I think that we do need to speak and we do need to talk and we need to flesh out the realities of the world that we live in. And I'm angry. I'm very, very angry at the environment that we live in. I'm very angry at this, the, the factors that are starting to show up in our society on a regular basis. I'm very concerned that our children are very confused and they don't know what to think about themselves. They don't know how to respond in a healthy manner and nobody seems to be listening to them. I don't know what happened. I've heard, you know, competing stories that that the FBI knew about this. They didn't do anything, and there's all this finger pointing and yada 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 yada. And my question is: Is the why did this circumstance even exist in the first place? Not the failures of the system to to control the situation, but what happened that created in the environment that led to it in the first place. And here's why I'm asking this question. Here's why I'm asking. I am actually afraid of sending my kids to school. Now, I'm not that old. Let me just tell you that right up front. I'm not that old. I'm 41 years old. and But I can remember a time when I went to high school that there were some pretty weird kids in my class. And I, I remember them. I remember them very well. And I remember thinking, you know, you're a little bit on the edge, dude. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm just saying. 
And and I'm looking at them, and I'm thinking, you probably have the potential of doing some pretty weird, awful things, and I think I'm just going to stay away from you. And I remember, all right, so I'm going to age myself a little bit, but this was back in the day when Dungeons and Dragons, you remember this game? This was a fantasy game, and uh, the church hated it. And I remember, you know, don't, I remember sermons and things like that from kids or from p- pastors and all these warnings and like Chuck Swindoll and, you know, whoever from Focus on the Family James Dobson was like, don't let your kids play Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, there was all this kind of mystical thoughts about what could take place in the spiritual world if they got involved in it. And guess what? At my school, there was kids who played Dungeons and Dragons. And they're a little bit on the weird side, all right? You know, I look back at those kids today compared to what I see now, and I think, ah, they were just kids. But that's the whole point. They're kids. And why are our kids murdering kids? And that's what scares me about this. I mean, I'm frightened about this. What is happening in our society that's putting so much pressure onto our children that our children are then responding in behaviors. Our children model behavior. And so what behaviors are they observing in the world that is, is, that is leading to the situations that we're seeing? So I remember this, and I remember being in high school, and it never occurred to me while I was in high school that some kid would show up with an assault rifle and mow down 17 of my peers. None of that ever, that thought never crossed my mind until four years after I graduated in 1999, when Eric David Harris and Dylan Bennett, I think his last name is pronounced Klebald or Claybald, both age 18, entered into Columbine High School, and they killed 13 and wounded 24. And guess what they were using? They were using an assault rifle and a shotgun. And they apparently had some knives, and they took their own lives. And I remember the Columbine High School massacre because I remember the shock that it that went through. Because here it was, here are these two kids, and, and if you go and just Wikipedia that, you'll see their pictures. I mean, these just look like normal kids. You know, middle middle America kids. They were good looking boys. And and but that's the point. They're boys. They're boys. They're kids. And they armed themselves and they took lives of other kids. These are not 30-year-olds. These are not 25-year-olds. They're not 40-year-olds. They're not some crazy 50-year-old or 60-year-old. These are kids. What are we doing about our kids? And so, Ivy and I, we're, you know, we're, we're talking about what, where we're going to send our kids. My daughter, she's getting to that age now where she's in middle school, and now she's getting ready to go into high school, and, and we're thinking about sending her to public high school because for a lot of different reasons, some of it's financial, some of it is social, some of it is psychological, some of it's developmental. It's just things that, that we're kind of pressing through our value system. And so now I'm asking myself, oh my gosh, what has this happened in her high school? What would happen? And that's my fear. And what do I do? So my natural tendency as a father is to say, well, I want to protect my daughter because I love her so much. And I could not possibly fathom what it must be like for a parent uh, as a father having to comfort his wife whose daughter or son just got mowed down in violence at the school that they made a decision to send their kid to. I can't imagine what that must be like. 
And so then, because of social media and the factors, then all these articles start getting thrown around, and somebody sent me an article as to why, you know, you know, Christians and gun control and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, don't send it to me. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because I'm mad. I'm very mad right now. And, and so, I, I'm talking to you, Grace Nation, because there's a part of me that says, we need to reevaluate our values. We need to reevaluate our message. We need to reevaluate how the gospel applies into this situation. You know, the problem with the gun debates and all of this is that it, it is a tension that is irresolvable. You're going to have those who are these gun enthusiasts who are going to make their comments and they're going to argue freedom for, freedom for. And those who are opposed to them are going to argue freedom from, freedom from. And we can't, we cannot as a society mend those two. We can't possibly bridge the gap. Because if we're arguing freedom for versus freedom from, then we're missing the point. And the point that I want to bring to this conversation simply is what's going on with our kids? What's happening? Why are they choosing to, to respond this way? What are the pressures that they're feeling? What's going on that is creating? What has our society done that has led to the conditions in the environment and the circumstances that is causing our kids to murder other kids? And I want to suggest to us uh, today, Grace Nation, I'm a little preachy today, so forgive me if I feel that sound a little preachy, but I'm just, I'm just like, we got to do, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about this. And so I want to suggest something that, you know, that what is really, really bothering me right now is, 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 is the debates. Yes, yeah, so and we need our leaders to do something. And I think our leadership in this country is deplorable at this point. I think that they are completely inept at responding from any kind of center, from any kind of base of center of values. In other words, principled, valued response versus listening to lobbyists who are throwing around money and, and all of this. I mean, it, it, I'm, just, I'm just disgusted at what I'm hearing right now. I'm using strong language today because I, I, I just simply want to understand the depths of passion that we need to instill. We need to think about this. So the big questions that are that are in my mind, as I've already stated this, and as I've kind of talked about and alluded to what has really bothered me, but what is what is it about our society that is producing shootings at public high schools, what seems to be now to be on a consistent basis, and not just high schools, but any place? You know, here's something that I never expected being a pastor, and here it is, that when I was in seminary and then worked in a seminary, one of the things that I remember going through, you know, pastoral care, something that I never, ever anticipated was how to respond uh, to a mass shooting and how to you pastor your people through that. That was never discussed in my seminary classes by any of my seminary professors. No one said, hey, now, when you have a crisis and or our, our society has a crisis, this is how you should respond. No one. Because we weren't thinking in those categories. Now, I know many pastors who, who come from the inner city, who are in urban environments, who, who come from backgrounds of violence, who, who come from 
poverty, and, and, and I have been working in those circles as well, and I hear the stories of violence, I hear the stories that poverty, um, uh, that is surrounded by poverty. I have a missionary friend in Guatemala, which we've talked about in the past, and, and he tells me regularly about the horrors that go on in Central America and, and some of the shootings that take place down there, and I'm just telling you that, that this is part of society and this is what's happening. And so, I know what the response is in terms of the conditions, but I think the problem is that as a church sometimes, Grace Nation, that we get, we, we, we just fall into our lives. We're so busy that we're not thinking about what's happening. And so, the second question that I have here is, you know, how have our public values so eroded that our society is now producing violence in these very surprising ways. You know? I mean, I don't think anybody would have thought that this kid would have chosen Valentine's Day and premeditatedly gone in and, you know, methodically uh, planned all of this out. I mean, he chose Valentine's Day for a reason. He chose the day of love for a reason, and I dare say it's because he had not experienced any love, but hatred, but a cry for help, what a desperate cry for help, what a desperate scenario. I was I was talking with Ivy and she was sharing with me that somebody you know at her work and her co- was was trying to pass a uh, legislation to get guns banned and, and and the whole you know part of the concern was just simply that you know they have loved ones that are teachers and that the teachers shouldn't have to live and work in fear and I totally agree with that I totally agree with that nobody should have to work in fear but then I started thinking about me my role as a pastor and I was just thinking about the guy who went into a church just recently. And, and and mowed down a bunch of, of victims into church. And there's there's been a regular ongoing thoughts in my back of my mind as a pastor as I get and stand before my congregation each week. And I've often wondered what it would what I would do if somebody came into the back of my church and began to shoot people. What would I do? How would I respond? And I know churches are getting involved with uh, church safety and security and and I've actually talked with a number of people on how you should respond and what you should do and et cetera, et cetera. And so it it's not just affecting our kids, it's not just affecting schools, it's also affecting our houses of worship. It's a, it's it's affecting concerts. It's it's affecting all kinds of venues, and it, so it should tell us something that something is wrong, shouldn't it? But I think that there are deeper issues here, and so let me just kind of pull it away from the the bigger circles and just get back to our kids. And I have a question that I, that I've been thinking about, and this is the thing that I've asked myself: Are we somehow as a society? traumatizing our kids to the point where violence becomes the recourse, their only action, their only only response. This kid chose Valentine's Day to act, the day of love, to make his mark. Now, I can hear people say, well, no, it was just a coincidence, or, you know, is there really any evidence that you did? Give me a break. It was Valentine's Day. Could it have crossed his mind? Maybe, but let me just suggest something that even if he 
didn't choose Valentine's Day on purpose, the fact that it occurred on Valentine's Day, as well as Ash Wednesday, should tell us something that this kid was crying out for help and nobody was listening. Nobody was listening. Are we somehow traumatizing our kids to the point where violence becomes their only recourse? You know, I think at some level we have to ask ourselves as a society, what steps can we take to begin addressing the deeper questions? I mean, listen, I am in favor of stricter gun laws. If they pass stricter gun laws tomorrow on assault rifles, I will not be affected because I have no interest and no desire to purchase one and stick it in my house. None whatsoever. My right is not being violated whatsoever. I feel nothing about that. I have no passion for that argument whatsoever. I'm much more concerned about what are we going to do to begin to look at the deeper issues that's causing these problems, that's even leading to the ban. And I mean, that's the question, isn't it? The question isn't, the problem isn't the guns. The problem is a society that is reaching for them and pulling the trigger. That's the problem. And we can, we can do all kinds of bans. We can ban everything under the sun, and yet the, the conditions will still exist in the environment. And so society will still respond in these horrible ways. I, I just recently, just the other day, in fact, it was, uh, I think it was yesterday, as of the recording of this show, I posted about the church of Nigeria where there was a mass slaughter of Christians in Nigeria. And, you know, it was awful. It's an awful thing to read. And you read those things as Americans and we say, oh, that happened in Nigeria, but it happens here. And, and it's happening, and, and so you know, one of the things that I've had to to come to grasp, to come to grips with, is what I call the horrors of pastoring. The horrors of pastoring, and that is to say that it, I, I'm finally at a level now where I'm pa- in my pastoring, where I'm getting into the deep brokenness of people's lives, and I'm hearing horrible stories uh, of violence in, in, in inside families, of of physical abuse, of of mental abuse, of emotional abuse, even sexual abuse. I'm hearing and encountering the rampant use of pornography and the devaluing of men and women in in the in the the onslaught of pornography. You know, I, I'm I'm dealing with people who have skewed identity issues where of sexuality and gender where they're so confused about who they are and they feel out of step with their own physical bodies and and they're dealing with massive depression and they're dealing with all kinds of, of fears and in and, and the results of of bullying in their lives. And yet I'm seeing all of the violent entertainment and et cetera that we we are consuming on an ongoing regular basis. And I'm asking myself, is this what this is about. The horrors of pastoring. This is the world that we live in. And so people are asking from the church, they're looking for answers, and the church is anemic and, and responding because we get so caught up in all the politics of it all. Instead of really looking to saying, yes, great, go pass all your laws and fight over your laws and your freedoms. But listen, the world is going down. There's this great, uh, this great illustration that I love. 
and and I don't know who said it, and I, and, and and frankly, at this point in, in this uh, rant that I'm doing today, uh, which is what it's turning into, is to say, you know, it's like polishing the it's like polishing the brass on the Titanic while it was sinking, polishing the doorknobs while the Titanic is sinking, and that's all we're doing was we're we're just doing window dressing to the deeper issues. And so I want to kind of share with you on the remaining time that I have with you today as we're just thinking about this and, and, and asking these deeper and more difficult questions is what is life like on planet death? I have a really good friend. His name is Renault. He's got a, um, a, a big, big church out on the west side of O-Town. And um, I, he's a very expressive man. And he, he calls the world that we live in planet death. And sometimes, um, you know, when everything bad happens, he goes, we live in the world of planet death, guys. And I love his reminder because I think it's a good one. And, uh, you know, planet death absolutely describes, I think, perfectly in what we're talking about today. But, you know, what's the biblical case for this? And, and, and it really comes from Romans 1 and 2. And, and Romans 1 and 2 is a very controversial passage, and so I'm not going to get into the, the controversies of the passage today. But what I simply want to suggest you do is go read it, because in Romans chapter 1 and, and 2, it, it, verses 18 through 2, I want to say 6, maybe 2, uh, 4, essentially, Paul describes in detail what's wrong with our world. And he starts off at the beginning of that in verses 18 and etc. He talks that the problem is that we've rejected God and we've engaged in in false worship. That is that the object of our worship has shifted from the one true God to all these gods that we've, you know, just created, all of this idolatry. And if you read throughout the entire Old Testament and well into the New Testament, that the fundamental issue that the Bible brings forward is that our object of worship is other things besides the one true God. That is to say that when we worship the one true God and we conform our lives to that true God, that these things that he describes in 18 through 31 are ameliorated to an extent. But we know that the whole world is not subject to God, but that Christ will one day return and bring this world into subjection to true worship. But until then, guess what we can expect? We can expect confused sexuality. We can, conf- we can expect a debased mind. Listen to, uh, I'm not going to get into the sexuality component today, but listen to just the debased mind. He describes it beginning with verse 29, this, or verse 28, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. That phrase, ought not to be done, is an ethical statement. He's saying that these things should not be done because they are ethically immoral. That is a value statement. And so he says in verse 29, they were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips. Let me just stop with gossips. That was one of the biggest problems with kids, is they gossip constantly. And gossip turns into bullying, doesn't it? Girls gossip about each other, spreading false lies. They go into social media and they terrorize, doing all kinds of cyberbullying, posting pictures of their friends that are, are, are wrong or, you know, humiliating each other. Boys picking on boys, 
uh, spreading false rumors, not building boys up, but tearing them down. They're slanderers, saying awful things. But it goes on in verse 30, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Doesn't that sound like what we're what we're experiencing? If we were just to take those words, take them out of the Bible and just say, is this our society? Are we is this the negative side of it? Yes, the answer is yes. And what's remarkable here in Romans chapter 2 is that Rome that Paul says, now look, you believers and 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 you think that you're out, you're not a part of this group? Think again. He says this, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So what Paul has done is that he has said, all of humanity is now indicted. And this is important to understand here as we kind of pull back here and just think about this, Grace Nation, because what what we see here is Paul bringing almost a court case before humanity and saying, these are the charges against humanity. It begins with the false worship. And as a result of the false worship, the whole world has collapsed and everybody is indicted. No one is, can escape this indictment. And as a result of that, death is prevailing. That's what the implication here is. And so, when we look at these shootings, when we look at what's happening in our high schools and our children, and then we read scripture, what we're seeing here is the result of a society that has turned its back on God. That's what we're seeing. And so, from a theological point of view, from a biblical anthropological point of view, which is to say, the, a picture of man from the Bible that everything that we're seeing is now co- is corresponding with what we're seeing in Scripture. It's not the other way around. We're not taking Scripture and applying it. We're actually seeing firsthand experiences what happens when people turn their back on God. And so, how should we respond? How should we respond? We preach life. That's how we respond. We preach life, we preach, you know, liberty, we preach freedom, we preach freedom from all of those things. We preach the gospel. Paul talks about in chapter 7, and it's one of my favorite verses from Paul, he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our only response, the only possible response that we have is to say the gospel. It's grace. It's liberty. It's freedom. It's to tell this kid, you don't have to pull the trigger. You don't have to do it because you don't have to define your lives by whatever hatred and whatever stuff has filled your mind to the point that has fueled your hatred. And while everything that you have gone through, young man, is awful, you don't have to contribute to it. 
And I wish that we could just grab all of our kids and pull them aside and say, you don't have to be like this. The things that you're doing, the behaviors you're involved in, the brokenness, the dysfunction, all of those things that are contributing to this pressure system that you now find yourself in, none of those things have to be and define your life. And so how do we respond? What does grace look like? Number one, we must, as a church, mourn over death. When Anglicans read the law in our services, particularly in the old prayer book, not so much the new ones, but in our old prayer book of the 1662, what would happen is that they would read the law of God, and then there would be a response. And this is the response, and I love this response. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. That is to say is that when you read the law of God, you realize just how far you have fallen from its standards, realizing the brokenness, and you just simply cry out for God's mercy. We cry for mercy. I think the second thing that we have to do is that we resist the urge to defend, debate, or react you say, well, aren't you reacting? I say, yes, in some ways I am reacting because I'm, I'm angry. But we have to resist the urge to defend, debate, or react. Why? Because it's not about politics. It's not about the right to own or the right not to own or the right to be secure versus the right to freedom. None of those things matter. What matters is how are we addressing the brokenness in the world, namely sin, that's degenerated into the world that we live in today. That's what matters. That's what matters. That's the only thing that we can do. It's the only response that we possibly have. It's the only one. I think number three, that we also have to pray for those who have been lost. We have to pray for those who are hurting. We have to pray for those who have now been participating in this violence. And I think finally, we have to examine ourselves. How are we contributing in our own sinful ways to planet death? What are we consuming that perpetuates the values of planet death? What have we done where we turned a blind eye, where we could have helped somebody? Out of anger, did we respond in a negative way? Did we do something today that hurt somebody else and therefore contributed to their demise? You see, we have to take ownership of these things now more than ever. We can't just be content to live in an evangelical ghetto. We have to break out of that, and we have to open our eyes to see that if that the violence of the world that we used to look out from America into other places has now come home to roost, and it's among us, and it's, it's, it's a part of us. And we have to go do our gospel work. That's the only way I know how to respond. But I don't want to just end there because I want to leave you with hope that even in the midst of the brokenness of this world, even in the midst of the darkest hours, even in the midst of of people crying and everything that's happening, what I want to encourage you with on this note today is that at the very end of this world that we look in Revelation, we see this incredible vision of Jesus Christ coming back where he wipes away all the tears. There's no more sorrow, no more crying. 
and he boldly declares, Behold, I am making all things new. So that we are not a people marked by despair and tragedy, but we are a people marked by hope. And it's the hope that we have. It is the answer and the security that we have that we can go into this broken world full of its violence and full of its disruption and full of its full of its screwed upness. And we can proclaim the gospel boldly. That is our hope. And so Grace Nation, I want to encourage you today that when, wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, I want you to pause, pray, think about everything that you have within your power to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear on your situation. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Listening to Grace on Fire, a Verb Creative Production. For show notes, links, and more, please visit mygracenation.com.